Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, November 9th. We begin with details on a new program aimed at helping those who have given so much to our nation. We speak with George Brookman from the Field of Crosses about the newly launched Adopt a Cross campaign in support of our veterans. Next, we look at the continuing trend of rising coronavirus cases across the country. We speak with a professor from Carleton University who's involved with a study on the elements of super spreader events. It's a busy week ahead for City Council with a focus on the upcoming civic budget. We get the Details from 770 CHQR City Hall reporter Adam Toy. And finally, with the U.S. presidential election now decided, we look at the next steps moving ahead as President Donald Trump has refused to concede. We speak with Mont Royal University professor Keith Brownsey. 709 now, and as Remembrance Day approaches, there's a fantastic way for all of us to help fundraise some much-needed dollars. Calgary businessman George Brookman joins us now with more on how Calgarians can help take ownership of the field by adopting a cross this year. Good morning, George. Good morning, Sue. How are you this morning? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. First no off, problem. big congratulations on being presented with an honorary degree from Mount Royal University Friday. I know. I was so thrilled. I was a little bit embarrassed, to be honest with you, but I, I did phone my lawyer and say, well, that's it. I'm going into competition with you now. <laughs> and he said, he said, no problem. We'll we'll handle that when the time comes. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's a, a, an amazing honor. And Thank you. You know, what you're doing is also is honorable, and, and it's so important that we talk about this. I think it's been a tough year. Not many poppies out as we head towards Remembrance right. Day. So you've got a way for us to help out. T- tell us about adopting a cross. Well, Sue, look, just two seconds of background. Of mm-hmm. course, Murray McCann, who started the field of crosses 11 years ago, has done the whole thing himself for all of these 11 years and uh, is really concerned or really anxious that uh, if something happens to him uh, this this project carries on and as you can say it's a beautiful project when you drive down Memorial Drive so this year we have turned the field of crosses is now a charitable organization and you can adopt a cross and we're asking people to uh, donate a hundred dollars for a cross and uh, there's 3,500 crosses, so I'm sure if we sold them all, we'd be pretty happy people. Mm. But um, it will be, uh, it, you just go on to the Field of Crosses slash Adopt a Cross uh, website, and you can do that from there. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to support the Field of Crosses, to support the memorial, and you should see the people walk through there, Sue. It just it brings tears to my eyes sometimes to watch them. George, you know, um, you, uh, well, no one in this city, you could uh, lend, you don't have a ton of time, I'm sure, so you could lend your time to any different organization. Why was the Field of Crosses so important to you, and why do you choose to to, to spend your time helping out? Well, let let me begin by saying that uh, when when a really good friend and someone who's done so much for the city asks you, then you say yes. And uh, when Murray approached me and said what he was trying to do and would I help him, I said I'd be glad to. But I think it's very important. You know, my father was in the war, and I'm amazed how many people I ran into Bill Gray the other day, the former president of Calgary Stampede, and he told me his dad was in the war and, and he was looking for his cross. It's very important that we keep this alive. And I think you saw the reaction of Canadians or Calgarians too when when one of the companies recently said, Oh, you can't wear a poppy. Mm. People are very proud of our military. You know, we don't have a we don't have a big army or big military, but we have a very high quality military and we're very proud of that. But we have to keep young people understanding. And when you walk through, you know, there's, there's grade six kids have done cards on many of the crosses with the history of the individual that that's, uh, it represents. Uh, this is very emotional stuff, and I think it's very important as part of our national pride to keep this going. 
You know, and I, I've seen uh, people criticizing on Facebook saying, you know, I'm not seeing people wearing poppies this year. And I think the fact that we're not seeing the boxes out at as many places as we have, it, it can be upsetting for everybody on both sides. But there's a way for us to help out and, and adopting a cross is one of them. And, you know, I think this is just a beautiful way to to make sure that we continue to see this project here in our city year after yeah. year. Thank you, Sue. Well, COVID has just affected so many things. And, of course, this year we can't have everybody coming down on Remembrance Day. But if you can go to Field of Crosses and you slash donate dash adopt a cross, it would be a wonderful thing to do. And uh, it would certainly help keep this project going far into the future. And whereas uh, this year is a little different, George, as, as we've been mentioning and highlighting, actually on the program over the past couple of weeks, I, I think to me anyway, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Beyond the classroom, beyond a book or getting online, the Field of Crosses is something very tangible oh, for the kids, right? Andrew, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so tangible. And, you know, I watch people park in the parking lot, and they're walking along, and they're talking and, and yakking, and then they come across that little gate, and all of a sudden they go quiet. And it really is like a, a memorial cemetery. Uh, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. We know there's no one there, but but it's so symbolic, and uh, it really does have an impact on people, and and I think that's very important. And and tomorrow night, you know, tomorrow night, which is the 10th, there will be a candle on every cross, 3,500 candles burning all night long. Uh, through to Remembrance Day. And, you know, you can't visit as well as you used to be able to, but you can certainly drive up Memorial Drive after dark, and it is a very beautiful sight to see. The kids are, are not allowed and able to go in this year with the schools, unfortunately, but can we walk in still through the field every day as we used to be able to? Yes, you can walk in through the field every day as we used to, but we can't gather. So there's a limit to how many people we can let onto the field at any one time. But I've been there almost every day. Um, You know, we have a sunrise ceremony and a sunset ceremony, which is restricted. But after that, people can just wander through the crosses at any time. And, uh, and And again, I think tomorrow night you can still do that. After the service is done, uh, lighting the candles, I think you can still wander through as well. So uh, it's, it's still fairly accessible, just not when there's a celebration going on. Well, and you mentioned, I, I know that if this was a different year, we'd like to get people out, but I see on the board of directors is one Jordan Witzel as mm-hmm. well. Um, he will be there in full force on Remembrance he's Day. He's a tough guy to he's, work with, though. I'll tell you, honestly. Yeah, tell heart us goes about out it. To you, George. He's such a miserable guy, yeah. you know? It's, uh, <laughs> Jordan will be there, and, and the beauty is here on 770 and on Global, if you can't get out of the house, it's going to be a little chilly, and, of course, we can't actually get down to the field itself. Full coverage, uh, you will get a, a sense of what's happening, right? Absolutely. And I think Global's done a fantastic job of, of, of covering it already and promoting it. But they're going to cover the whole service on um, on Wednesday. So uh, that's fantastic. You can stay home, have a coffee, and, and watch from the coziness of your own living room. This is a great way to maybe do a family donation. Adopt a cross, $100 each, as you said, George. What a, what a yep. wonderful legacy fund is being created I now. hope so, and I hope we can continue it and make it, uh, you know, the thing is, Murray is, uh, well, I don't think he'd mind me saying, Murray's now 80, and he said, I'm not going to be here forever, and I want this to not stop. So uh, this is one way of helping us to make sure that that happens. Murray McCann's a good man. So are you. Thanks for joining us, George. 
Thank you. It was a pleasure. Take care and stay warm. You too. That is George Brookman with the Field of Crosses. And again, it's fieldofcrosses.com slash donate dash adopt a cross. And we will be off uh, observing Remembrance Day with our families on Wednesday. Uh, not alone, though, because Kevin Usselman will be in. You're not left alone. Alberta Morning News uh, from 6 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. A.M. rather. His show is not uh, 12, uh, 14 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, 6 to 8.30. Then 8.30, we'll be airing the special No Stone Left Alone, followed by the Remembrance Day observations with Jordan Witzel from Global TV from 9 to 11 a.m. We have it right here on 770 CHQR. 609 on the morning news, ensuring proper ventilation and avoiding air conditioning are important factors to help curb the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Gabriel Wehner, the Associate Chair for Graduate Studies, Systems and Computer Engineering at Carleton University, joins us now with more tips on to uh, on how to help prevent so-called super spreader events during the pandemic. Good morning to you, Gabriel. Uh, good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Well, Thank before you. we get going, let's uh, define what a super spreader event is when it comes to the parameters surrounding that. So uh, basically what you have is that the virus spreads in this kind of uh, events that are different from household events in which you get one or two people infected. Um, there have been reports of numerous of these super spreader events in which one person in a uh, and particularly in in a closed area indoors, uh, get a large number of people infected, and then those people infect other people in their whole in their own households. Uh, so then uh, you end up with one person infected, infecting hundreds uh, of other people. Um, so uh, this this is seems to be driving uh, the pandemic. We're certainly seeing that, Gabriel, in other countries and right here in Canada. In fact, it's an issue for us here in Alberta. And you're using mathematical modeling to try and predict this type of thing then, yes? Yes. So what we are doing is to try to come up with uh, software that gets simulations of these super spreader events and other uh, kinds of contagion indoors. So you will have a whole building and then you will have a simulation of people people that are sick inside that building, and then you can try to predict uh, where the disease is going to spread based on these mathematical models. Well, it's got to be very difficult because, you know, you go to any office building, school, organization, and you need to have air circulating. So what sorts of protocols are put in place to prevent that, um, you know, but still having that air circulate? Uh, so uh, it depends. Uh, it, it depends a lot on the place, right? So, so there are pl- uh, places that are very well organized, uh, large uh, places like universities or uh, big offices. They have uh, ventilation standards that are properly followed. Uh, there's a couple of standards like ASHRAE and MERV 13, and uh, these standards uh, are. Uh, very popular in, in large buildings. Our university used those standards, uh, but then if you have a small business, it's complicated to uh, spend the money that that, that this mm-hmm. takes, right? But you still need proper ventilation, so uh, we need to do something about it. And um, so, uh, large places take care of, of the issue with with uh, uh, air conditioning and and uh, heating devices. Uh, but if you have a small business, you have to try to crack, crack open a window, even in the cold weather, right? Uh, ventilation is crucial to prevent this from happening. Gabriel, can you paint us a bit of a picture of what you've seen from your modeling? Because I, I think people just really 
are not grasping that this is how this is really beginning to spread is through these large groups that are families getting together. So what does that look like? What do you see when one person is infected and they're in a group in a family situation in someone's house? How does it spread that way? And, and what, what's the, sort of the fallout from it? Well, something that's very important to understand is that the social distance is something extremely important, but when you're indoors, uh, the virus stays indoor unless there is circulation. So uh, the disease is, is driven by these tiny particles called aerosols. We've known since, since a- April, more or less, and only very recently, uh, the World Health Organization has updated their guidelines to follow up with this aerosol uh, uh, contagion. So these tiny, tiny particles stay in there for a long time. And different people shed different amount of particles. So you can have a person that uh, is speaking out loud and is sick, and that particular person, if it's in the worst part of the contagion phase, it will shed lots of viral particles, and everybody that's close, sooner or later, will start breathing that. Imagine that you're smoking indoors. That's how it looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, our colleague in Colorado, uh, he has this metaphor that imagine that you're in a room and everybody's smoking. That's how it looks like, but you don't see the smoke. When somebody's smoking, you see the smoke. So if there's somebody sitting there and breathing for two, three hours and has the the virus and you're you're there, uh, you can get it. And this is what the models show. And the models uh, that we and other people around the world have built uh, show that uh, uh, this this is happening and there are large databases of super spreader events and indoors is a major uh, cause of the spread of the disease. So you have to be extremely careful indoors. Now, if you wear a mask when you're indoors and you keep your distance when you're indoors and then you make ventilation work properly, things are completely different. So the probability of getting sick goes down uh, very seriously if you, if you do your, your job. You have to wear a mask, you have to crack open a window, and then um, you have to try to keep your distance. Close distance, it's, uh, it's even worse. So um, you could be outdoor, but if you're in a crowd without a mask, very close to someone for a long time, you can get the disease too. And this is what the models show. And these models match what the reality has shown us in different uh, studies uh, that we have the data for. Gabriel, I'm wondering, in hindsight, being 2020, if we look back to the beginning of this pandemic, a lot of what you've been talking about, you know, lots of people, close proximity, not having the uh, the ventilation, um, and no masks. Could this be a, a good example of why we saw the outbreaks on the cruise ships to kick the pandemic off? Uh, yes, and, but the problem is that at the beginning of the pandemic, nobody knew anything about this disease. So um, the, the, the big issue with uh, this pandemic is that we learn something new every week. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's on a daily basis. There are thousands of publications ongoing uh, on a weekly basis. And why? Because everybody's investigating this and we learn something new every day. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know much. And uh, the, the countries that were better prepared is those who uh, had to attack SARS and they followed the same protocols that they use for SARS and they were prepared in terms of contract tracing and uh, traditionally these are c- c- countries that wear masks so these two things helped a lot um, but yes something that we need uh, to, to do is to be able to quickly adapt to the learning uh, curve because it, it, 
we learn something different every every week, right? For sure. You're so very right about that. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a, it's a great discussion and we need to keep talking about it because that's what we're seeing here now is, you know, in-house super spreader events that are, are really, uh, you know, just making this virus continue to grow. So thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me. That is Gabriel Weiner, Associate Chair for Graduate Studies, Systems and Computer Engineering at Carleton University. 819 on the morning news in time for our weekly check-in with 770 CHQR City Hall reporter Adam Toy with a large focus on budget this time out. Good morning to you, Adam. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Sue. Well, we're going to get uh, get things started here and uh, something you call the mid-cycle budget adjustments. Tell us what that is. So uh, Calgary, the city of Calgary has a four year budget cycle this year or this one that we're currently in is the one Calgary budget running from 2019 to 2022. As we transition from 2020 to 2021, uh, that is the mid cycle, uh, the four year cycle. So we're halfway through that. So these are this is going to be where we're going to see a a lot of the budget adjustments based on uh, the past two years activity. What did City Council decide on in last year's budget? Uh, Remind us, Adam. So last year they had uh, City Hall approved a net zero municipal tax increase. However, uh, due to some changes from the provincial budget, they did pass along uh, those those, those losses that the city incurred to the taxpayers. So uh, revenue from the provincial budget on things like fines, cannabis taxes, biological testing, that was about $13 million hit to the city. That resulted in about an average of $1.14 per month increase for, for homeowners. Uh, they also uh, saw a four, uh, and Calgarians saw an average of a $4.45 per month increase on their tax bill from the balance of the 2019 provincial education requisition. And of course, council, a big thing uh, that happened last year is they shifted the share of taxes from residential and non-residential. Previously, it was a 49-52 mix, uh, 49 for residential, 52 for non-residential, to a 52-48 split. Uh, there's really no uh, evidence that that is, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. We don't know yet if that will also, if that kind of shift will be happening again this year. Well, what is expected uh, for this year's budget? So the council has directed administration to have a tax freeze or better this year. Now, last Wednesday, Nenshi did tell, uh, or Mayor Nahed Nenshi, I should say, did tell reporters that he is expecting an austerity budget. Uh, This will be the fifth year in a row that uh, the city will see an austerity budget if it's passed. Uh, And uh, the, the mayor also said that he, quote, I think citizens don't really have to worry about their tax bill. But on the other hand, they really have to be thoughtful about what services they don't want to see cut. Well, thank you for the update, Adam. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much. Have a great day. That is 770 CHQR City Hall reporter Adam Toy. Coming up on 619 now, and Joe Biden declared the 46th president of the U.S. Saturday, offering a promise of national unity and healing to confront the raging health and economic crises and making Donald Trump the first president in more than a quarter century to lose re-election. Keith Brownsey joins us now, political science professor at Mount Royal University to discuss. Good morning, Keith. Good morning. Thanks so much for being here. First off, I'm curious, you know, how important do you think were the words of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on the weekend? Well, I, I think they were important. I think they were necessary. And it uh, remember, Biden appealed not only to Democrats on uh, Saturday night with his uh, speech, but he appealed to Trump supporters as well. Um, he wants to be seen as reaching, as they say, in the United States across the aisle to uh, the Republicans and trying to bring them on side. So he can get some things done uh, in his first year or so as president. 
Let's talk about uh, Trump at this point uh, refusing to concede. Uh, what is the importance of uh, you know uh, somebody in his position to concede? And, and is there a possibility he may never? Well, he may. He likely won't. By all reports, he'll never uh, give give that up. Uh, what's interesting is that there's no requirement for him to concede. Uh, there's no requirement for him to go through all of the motions of inviting Trump and Harris to the White House and to briefing them uh, on, um, you know, issues that the country faces. Uh, None of that's there. In fact, uh, the GSA, the uh, General Services Agency of the United States, usually provides money uh, to the uh, winner, uh, the winner's campaign for a transition. Mm -hmm. Not happening right now. Uh, so uh, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris are left on their own for this. But they've had a transition team in place since, oh, I'm going to say July. And they've been making preparations to take the White House since then. Where are we at in terms of Donald Trump's uh, you know, attempts to, to take some of the vote results to the Supreme Court? <laughs> We're at the laughing stage. I mean, look at the press conference that his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, gave the other day. I mean... Instead of uh, holding a press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel <laughs> in, in Manhattan, Oops. it was at Four Seasons Landscaping, uh, but next to a, an adult movie uh, store and a crematorium. Um, he got the address wrong. They didn't know what they were doing. And I think that reflects the larger um, issue here with uh, uh, the court challenges on uh, recounts. Well, that was a, you, you can't write comedy like what happened mm. on the weekend. Um, let's uh, talk about what uh, President-elect Biden and uh, Kamala Harris can get done between now and January 20th. All eyes uh, on the inauguration coming up in a couple of months here. Uh, but can they really get anything of concrete done in transition? Oh, yeah. yeah. These are, look, you've got Joe Biden, and he was attacked for having 47 years of experience in Washington. But this guy was in the White House for eight years. He knows exactly what needs to be done. Kamala Harris uh, is in the same situation. She was a senator. She knows what has to be done. And so they have a transition team going on right now. They need to pick a cabinet. Uh, they need to pick uh, about 1,500 people for the White House. And, you know, thousands, literally thousands of other appointees across the top echelons of the U.S. Um, public service. So they, um, they've got a lot to do, and they know what they're doing. Uh, the first things first, though, uh, he needs to pick a chief of staff, and he needs to decide who's going to be in the cabinet. It's going to be an interesting couple of months to watch, and no doubt we'll be checking back in with you. Thanks for joining us, Keith. Yeah, my pleasure. Bye now. Bye-bye. That's Keith Brownsey, political science professor at Mount Royal University.